Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, the place for all things nutrition and mindfulness. We are passionate about guiding you to make peace with food and empower your body and brain. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Hobson. I'm an NTP, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner in San Diego. I work with individuals to assess personal nutritional deficiencies and imbalances by addressing the root cause of any health issue. In my private practice, I focus on women's hormones, gut health, and thyroid dysfunction. Let's meet my co-host. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified transformational nutrition coach based in Los Angeles. I work one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, make peace with food, and create a life they love filled with energy, self-love, and freedom from rules and obsession. I'm also the creator of the ebook, Break Free from Disordered Eating. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We are so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 41 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. Ow! Hello. (laughs) Feels like forever Forever. since we recorded. It's been two weeks. I know. It's been a good little break. I took a little mini vacay, but now since this is airing in December, (laughs) this would have been back in October. (laughs) End of Um, October, beginning of November. Yeah. So if you saw on Instagram months ago, I was in Kauai. It was lovely. It looked amazing. It was a baby moon kind of, right? Yeah. When I heard about that, I was like, that's a thing. Like, that's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Because if there's any excuse to go on vacation before you have a baby, then I'm in. So it was, and Kauai is one of my favorite places, like, on the planet. I've been not that many places in the world, but as a kid, my parents, we're always so lucky we got to go to Hawaii, and that was kind of like our family vacation. So I've been a lot, but it's been, like, 10 years since I had been, and my husband had never been to Kauai. So it was really fun. It was nice, that vacation, because I feel like the vacations that he and I usually like to take are just kind of, like, neither of us know anything about where we're going, and so it's a lot of planning and researching and, like, trying to figure out, like, where to eat and what to see, and so this was really nice. It was, like, I already knew everything, and it was obviously more relaxing being beachy, but I also realized I can't, I used to, like, sit on a beach when I was, like, in, I don't know, high school probably even, but, like, or younger, and just, like, bake in the sun for hours. Like, I would just, like, fry, (laughs) and I would be fine with that, and I'd sit in the sun this time. I mean, and also, too, because I was worried about, like, overheating the baby. I was, like, feeling my stomach, and I was like, (laughs) oh, God, I think he's, like, cooking even more, (laughs) but then I was reading, too, that, like, when they're in the amniotic fluid, they're very much, like, temperature controlled, but still, I mean, it's not a good idea to sit out in the sun at all, so, you know, we were in the water a lot, and we did a ton of hiking, and... It was nice. It was a different type of Hawaii than I've done before. Much more Aww. active, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. I feel like every day you were posting on Instagram, it's like, we just did a seven-mile hike. No big deal. <laughs> with the picture with your bump. I'm like, Allie, are you okay? I know. Well, it was. it's really rainy in Kauai, too. And so there was just, like, tons of mud, and it was, like, super slippery. So I did have to be really, really careful. I know. <laughs> My point. I was I worried. Everybody on the trail was looking at me like, uh, hello, are you, like, an idiot? Like, what are you doing? But I was, you know, I was very careful. I went very slow. I had my walking stick. I grabbed onto a bunch of stuff. And I felt very safe. If I didn't, I obviously wouldn't have done it. But I'm pretty low to the ground. You know what I mean? I'm Mm -hmm. only five feet tall. So, like. (laughs) Yes. 
You're very small. Well, it looked amazing. What was, you guys were eating all different kinds of awesome food. What was your favorite? Mm. I, I feel like you were, you were into like a breakfast, like a chia seed pudding thing. Yeah, I found this place. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good food on vacation. You just have to plan ahead. And I kind of did, or I mean, for this, I kind of knew the spots are the healthier spots, but I feel like that's one of my favorite things about traveling is like finding like hidden gems of places that you you know, are new to, but there was this place that had pre-made, like, they were, like, alley, like, it's like they knew I was coming. They, like, had these, like, chia seed pudding bowls or jars, and then this, like, gluten-free oat, I don't know, coconut milk situation, and then there's a place called Kawaii Juice that was awesome that had um, this, like, pumpkin spice milk. It was just, it was, like, a nut milk blend. So, yeah, we had a lot of good good fun food finds but mainly I ate fish a lot yes so fresh like poke and stuff or um you know we didn't eat any pokey I am not opposed to eating raw fish at all but duh pregnant well and this (laughs) you can eat some right yes and so the episode that we did about with Lily Nichols (laughs) go listen to that (laughs) if you haven't already (laughs) we're recording this before it's come out guys yeah well and that was my solo interview so understandable but we talk a lot about raw fish and things so if it's really good high quality and you know where it's coming from I'd say it's totally fine but you do want to be careful about the types of fish because of mercury but that Mm -hmm. would I would say pregnant or not like that's always something you want to pay attention to so I didn't really do a ton of like raw fish and all that but they just have really good like fish dinners mahi mahi and stuff I did a fair share of fish tacos with all Delish. the sauces and the corn tortilla and everything. Mm. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So island life, man. So island. <laughs> <laughs> What's new with you? Any updates? Well, I will just apologize. I was <laughs> going back and forth. Do I mention this or not? I may sound a little bit congested right now. I'm dealing with possibly some allergies into like a head cold situation. So... Sorry, guys. Doing my best. Um, I just saw my doctor down in San Diego, which is funny because Allie lives down there, and we were not able to meet up again. (laughs) We keep missing each other. She just got back from her trip. Um, But I, uh, yeah, so I just did that. What else is new? I'm like, I don't have any, I really don't have much else to report, actually. I'm doing a, well, I'm doing a photo shoot. Oh, on fine. Monday, which I'm very excited about. It's actually the first time I've done like a full on photo shoot for everything nutrition with Chelsea. I've done two in the past, but both were sort of like gorilla style. And this one I actually what, rented what a space. Gorilla style <laughs> is like, um, it's just like you and a camera and you, you are shooting like wherever technical? you can. And what? Is this like a technical photography term? Gorilla is like, I think used in like the media of world with filming or photography where it's like maybe you don't have a warrant or a space to shoot at and so it's just like on the go let's get the footage and run kind of a thing (laughs) I'm sure some people know what I'm talking about (laughs) maybe this is like an actress thing that you know about (laughs) Mm, actually probably that's probably how I've never heard of that really I don't know why it's called gorilla but yeah it's just kind of like informal is that a word informal 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 it's like that doesn't sound right I will say I had an issue with my brain last week, you guys. I wrote my rent check. I don't want to say how much my rent is, but I wrote my rent check, and I wrote the amount of the rent in the, like, pay order to space, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. left the 
amount space where you write it out, you know, in words blank. Right. And then I inverted the numbers in the actual amount that I wrote it out. And I handed it in to my landlord like that. And they were like, um, no. He was like, uh, <laughs> can't accept this. And I was like, oh gosh, like, whatever, you know, sorry. And then I was sat with it for a second and I was like, that's not good. <laughs> so. My checks, anyway. <laughs> I always laugh when I get to write a check, which isn't very often, but they have pugs on them because <laughs> my mom, like, got me these, like, you know, personalized checks, like, a long time ago, and they have a pug on them, and every time I'm like, this is so unprofessional. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I usually funny. don't use it for, like, business stuff, but right. it's just funny in general. Yeah. Well, that was a sad moment where I was like, I think I've just been stressed out or something. But anyway, back to my photo shoot, very excited because I rented a space downtown and it's like this chic kind of trendy loft space with so many different, like a kitchen and a sofa area and a little like kitchen nook and I'm going to get, I'm going to do like three to four looks and just get a bunch of stuff for my website and social media and and I'm going to be launching a program in the new year, like a self-study program. So I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm just gearing up and trying to put put all my looks together and look cool. So that's that, but let's jump into today's episode. Let's do it. This is going to be, it's not a loaded, it's one question, but there's so many different topics and tangents we can go into from this. So I'll read the question and then we'll get into it. Okay, so this question comes from Stephanie um, about her. She, she generally eats well. She tries to stick to a gluten and dairy-free and grain-free diet when possible, and she takes on more of a paleo pro- paleo approach. She works out about four to five times a week, treadmill, walking, elliptical two times a week for 30 to 45 minutes, float fit, which sounds awesome. I don't know if that's in the pool, but I like it. One time a week. I feel wonderful after working out, never tired or exhausted. I used to do CrossFit and it came to a point one day where my body broke down and I was bedridden for six months. Um, So plus active with kids, bringing them to swimming and all that kind of stuff. So stress, she says, is manageable. For the most part, she has low stress. She sleeps about seven to eight hours a night. Um, She still has one child that wakes up every so often. Supplements, medication. She takes levothyroxine, which is a um, thyroid um, support. Uh, Vitamin D, 50,000 IUs a week. The recent lab she just did, she said, was 76, which is great. Pretty high, but not too high. (laughs) Um, Pancreatic enzymes and betaine with pepsin when needed. So basically digestive enzymes. So her first question, recently she was diagnosed with, quote unquote, a chronic hepatocellular disease. And as of recently, so she did email us to give us an update that she was recently diagnosed with something called NASH, N-A-S-H, which I will get into. Um, So in the process of finding out exactly what I have, but here's what I kind of know. Symptoms um, that she has lead me to have, oh, this is just all wrong. I'm reading it crazy. Okay. Symptoms led her to having an abdominal ultrasound because of excessive bloating. She says she goes from looking like she's pregnant, um, but she's not, to giving birth in a matter of like one to two hours. Um, She says, I'm scared to eat or do anything that will affect my liver. Um, And this is because of the diagnosis that chronic hepatocellular or the NASH um, the ultrasound ultrasound also showed that it was almost two to three ti- or two thirds bigger than it should be her liver, so it measured at 24 centimeters. The question is, what is the best way to 
to reduce inflammation in her liver. I almost want to know or want to think like, should we read the second part of the question? Because that's kind of mm-hmm. helpful Go for it. to know in the answer. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read through the questions because they do kind of cross over, I think. Um, so that was question number one, so how to reduce inflammation in the liver. Question number two, she says, I cannot lose weight for the life of me. I'm about 50 pounds overweight, and I am wondering if liver issues can relate to me not being able to lose weight. I do have hypothyroidism and PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, so I do know that these two things can play a role in absent weight loss despite all my efforts. Um... The third question, um, specific supplements. I know that nettle and lemon balm is great. Um, my doctor is sure is not sure if I have fatty liver, um, but is also not sure why it's so inflamed. Currently waiting on results, um, blah, blah, blah. So she's kind of just curious about what supplements or things to take. So those are all the questions, and then we'll kind of go back through it. So. I read it that way because when I looked at the question and tried to answer it, there's a lot of different like important key parts here. So it's hard for me to answer how to reduce the inflammation if we don't really know what's causing it. But now that we know she has hypothyroidism and PCOS, that gives me like a ton more information. So I'd like to go into first and just explain what hepatocellular disease is. Um, it's essentially non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is also... Um, what NASH is. So NASH stands, stands for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but steatohepatitis. Um, and it's a syndrome that develops in patients who are not alcoholic, but it causes damage to the liver. Um, so it can develop most often in patients with at least one of the following risk factors, obesity, dyslipidemia, and glucose intolerance. So essentially what she's dealing with is a non-alcoholic fatty liver. So something is happening with the liver where it's being inflamed or there's inflammation there, but it's not because of alcohol is what that means. <laughs> um, so I would be curious to know, I guess, you know, kind of what other tests maybe, Stephanie, you have already done. So we know that you've done the ultrasound. I'd be curious to know like what your liver enzymes look like um, on a blood test that looks um, it says ALT or AST because that'll kind of give us more information as to like how well the liver is working. Maybe it's inflamed, but is it still working properly? Do you have enough of these enzymes that are working? So that would be interesting to know. And then most importantly, I kind of want to focus on blood sugar. Um, and I'll explain why, but I'm curious if you've had any blood sugar markers tested if you've looked into doing even like an adrenal cortisol test, we know that adrenals and blood sugar are very closely tied together. Um, so the liver plays a huge role in blood sugar regulation. And we do know that with PCOS, PCOS um, largely can kind of correlate back to an imbalanced blood sugar. Um, so it's likely that these two things are playing off together is kind of where I'm going. So I almost would actually start with the PCOS situation and the blood sugar because I think that the PCOS and blood sugar is affecting the liver. Um, something I want to read from PubMed, which we'll link to the um, kind of article for this and what it says, but 
um, that says increased prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver has been reported in patients with PCOS, one of the most common endo and whatever that is, endocrinopathies <laughs> in premenopausal women, which has been defined as a reproductive and metabolic order disorder. Um, and it basically kind of comes from the recognition and importance of insulin resistance. So I would start with focusing on blood sugar. And I know that you are probably already doing that um, just based on the fact that you said you've tried to stick to like a gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free diet and more paleo. So Chelsea's going to kind of get into another whole side of, of that. But um, I think one of two things, maybe trying to do more of like a sugar detox diet you could be eating that way most of the time, but I feel like with PCOS, you kind of need to put yourself into like a situation where you're going to say for the next two months, I'm going to work really, really hard to not try and stick to it. I'm going to stick to it. But I think it's really helpful to work with someone. Um, if you're not already, we're not entirely sure, but trying to come up with like a plan for yourself where you feel comfortable doing pretty low sugar um, and maybe including you know some more healthy fats and proteins um, whatever that might look like for you so women are very sensitive and we do need sugar and we do need glucose in our diets but I think that with what you're dealing with there's some type of insulin resistance happening and so we have to figure out why and we have to figure out how to manage that with blood sugar so that's kind of where I would start is trying to do kind of a sugar detox diet um, maybe a good resource to look at would be like um, Diane Sanfilippo's 21 DSD. That's kind of a good low sugar um, plan where she gives a lot of good meal recipes and there's a whole book on it and all of that. Um, so, you know, it seems like you probably are, but removing any processed sugar, um, really limit high glycemic foods and be strategic about the fruits that you eat. Even if you're doing a low sugar um, protocol, you don't have to be terrified of eating fruit. You just want to be strategic about when you're eating it, what types you're eating it, and maybe what you're pairing the fruit with. Um, so I would say that's why it's really helpful to work with someone to kind of figure that out so you're not just like driving yourself crazy. <laughs> um, and then reducing stress. We know that stress and cortisol are very tight, um, tightly uh, related to blood sugar as well. So I'd be curious maybe if you've done an adrenal test to know how far off your cortisol could be because if you're in complete adrenal fatigue, um, you might not even really know that you are. So, I mean, I, for example, would have never said that, oh, I had adrenal fatigue um, and I was never fully like diagnosed with that, but my cortisol levels were not where they needed to be. They were slightly just off balance and I would have not thought that without testing it and looking at it so it might be helpful to do that just to kind of get a good gauge on where your adrenals are um, because I'll explain really quickly like how adrenals affect blood sugar but in normal healthy bodies your body releases cortisol which is like your stress your stress management hormone um, on purpose so it's not that you don't want to have any cortisol you want to have enough um, to manage your blood sugar. So the body should release a healthy cortisol level to help liberate glucose, which is what we need to like function and do ATP, energy, all the things. Liberate glucose to maintain functions of our brain, organs, cells, blood sugar, 
um, all of that. So when your blood sugar declines between meals or overnight um, and cortisol is not there to produce glucose levels, then your liver has to do a lot of the work. So I kind of feel like what's happening is maybe your adrenal fatigue could be inhibiting you from producing cortisol could be also in turn messing up that glucose balance and then your liver is under more stress than it needs to be. But there's definitely a connection with the PCOS and blood sugar and the fatty liver or the non-alcoholic fatty liver, in my opinion. So if I were working with you and you were my client, that's kind of where I would start. I might wanna do some different tests to look at some different things, um, but I would really start with trying to get that blood sugar under control and even if it's not completely out of whack, I think it could be helpful to just explore the idea of maybe some blood sugar supplements, adrenal supplements, because you're not taking, I think, yeah, you're taking just a few things, which, you know, digestion is super important. We want to be able to absorb all of our nutrients, and that's what you're doing with the betaine and the pepsin. But I really feel like there needs to be a heavy emphasis on blood sugar balance and addressing the PCOS so it perhaps stops that inflammation of the liver because it's so closely tied together. Cool. Yeah. So I think everything Allie just discussed is like impeccable information and I agree with her. I am just going to give a bit of a different opinion on this. If you resonate with it, Stephanie, and also maybe someone else who's listening who can relate to this may take away something, something from it. And I know this can be somewhat controversial, especially in the paleo community. Um, which is why I've kind of been exploring it on my own and I'm sometimes a little bit trepidatious to bring it up just because it is, I don't know, I'll I'll go on with the fact. Um, But yeah, I feel like it would be a disservice to not bring this up. So first of all, Stephanie, I can relate a lot to this, especially with the bloating. As everyone knows, I've probably talked about this a million times on the show. Um, Mine is a little bit different. It's more of a steady state chronic thing versus going from a flat, stomach in the morning to then getting a little bit more bloated throughout the day and looking pregnant at night. I know that a lot of people deal with that. And I know now a lot of people deal with what I deal with, which is pretty much like this chronic state of more of a gut distension versus a bloating. And what I mean by that is I don't necessarily feel like gaseous and crampy and like I'm having a hard time digesting as kind of strange as that sounds to wrap your mind around. It almost feels like just like a distension that like my gut is sort of like pushing out or hanging out, if that makes sense. Um, And actually, I just saw my doctor yesterday, which is early November, um, so a little over a month ago when you're hearing this, um, but I found out that I have some liver and gallbladder issues. And he essentially just did like a functional exam, somewhat similar to probably what Allie would do if she was working with someone in person. Um, so I didn't get like an ultrasound or anything like that and my blood work and everything looks normal, but a little bit of like an inflammation to those organs. So again, not to the extreme that you're dealing with, but anyways, I resonate with this and I think that that can be a huge, huge issue of the bloating. Um, and then on top of that, if there are thyroid issues that can affect your metabolism and your motility. So the way in which you like kind of churn through your food and the rate at which things move through you and digest, And then if PCOS is at play, there are likely cysts present and that can cause inflammation, distension, bloating. So I think for you, it's probably a combination of many of these things. Um, So again, I do want to reiterate that I really um, agree with Allie on the blood sugar. And 
just a good check for you to do stephanie would be to see because here's the thing we don't know how long you've been eating more of like a paleo gluten-free grain-free kind of way it may be new um so you may still be in the process of balancing out your blood sugar but a good test for you would be to see how long can you go in between meals are you getting hungry one hour two hour three hours are you feeling shaky are you feeling irritable is the hunger kind of fast and furious or does it creep on so these are also to like fatigue um spikes and dips in your in your energy brain fog sleep issues like these are and we've talked about this a little bit on past episodes but these are all ways to see like if your blood sugar is um, out of whack and if you're having a lot of cravings and stuff um, that would give us a nod to the fact that your blood sugar is out of balance. So again, I, I think that's important. But what I do want to bring shine light on is that, well, and also to say too, we can still be eating paleo and be overdoing sugar. So just going paleo or just making the switch to real food doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't eating sugar because you could still eat, be eating lots of things with honey, lots of things with maple syrup. You could be eating like a couple RX bars a day, which are full of dates, you know? So there's still a lot of ways that you can get sugar. And even though it's natural sugar for you and your body, especially with some of the underlying issues at play, it may just be too much. And again, like everyone has a different tolerance, again, based on their underlying root issues and lifestyle and everything like that and stress. Um, so what I want to say though, is that if you are eating more paleo, so potentially Stephanie, you've been eating this way for a while and you've maybe gone pretty low carb because a lot of people who do go paleo do go low carb because they're making more of an intention to eat more protein, fat, like non-starchy fibrous vegetables. And a lot of people in the paleo community, and it's, it's evolved over the years, but I know when I first got into it, which was like three and a half <clears throat> years ago, I guess. Yeah, well, almost four, probably the beginning of 2015 when I first started listening to like Balance Bites and following Diane Sanfilippo and Liz Wolf and their work and everything. Um, white potatoes weren't allowed. It was like only low glycemic fruits. Like there was a lot more dogma around paleo and luckily now I think it has evolved a bit, but I still see a lot of people going really, really low carb and it's interesting what you mentioned, too, about being a former CrossFit athlete um, or just, you know, doing CrossFit quite often and how fatigued you got. It's interesting that so many people that go paleo, because for a while, I don't know if it's still the case, but for a while, I feel like CrossFit and paleo was very hand in hand. Like most people who did CrossFit also went paleo. I think just in CrossFit gyms and stuff, it was quite prevalent. Um but a lot of a lot of people, especially women, were going so low carb and not even eating sweet potatoes or fruit or anything like that. And you need that to replenish after a workout or pre-workout. So I've just seen this a lot where people go too low carb and they get fearful of carbs. They get fearful of fruit. They get fearful of, of starch. Um, and the reality is if you're not eating a lot of that stuff, you probably are doing a lot of fat because you want to feel satiated and fat is very satiating. Um, so here's the thing. If you are coming from more of like a dieting past, which I know a lot of people can resonate with who listen to the show. And I think any woman probably who grew up in like the eighties, nineties, we went low fat or we went fat free. And then all of a sudden you transition to real food you're going to be eating more healthy fat. And while healthy fat is amazing and so healthy and so nutrient dense and has all these great properties and can help us in so many ways, it can also be difficult for us to introduce that much fat so quickly coming from a low fat, fat-free way of eating because 
the functionality to digest fat becomes downplayed when we aren't asking our body to digest it, if that makes sense. Like, if you don't, what's that saying? Like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. (laughs) That can kind of apply here. And that's probably why you're on like a betaine and um, enzymes and stuff like that. Because that's, that's spoken a lot about in the paleo real food community, like making sure you have, you know, I recommend people who have a digestive enzyme that contains ox bile because that's something that helps you to digest and break down fat. Anyways, to tie this all up for you, I would consider, and again, kind of take what you resonate with because we're kind of giving two different opinions here, but I would recommend perhaps cutting back a little bit on fat. So again, I do not mean going low fat, just lower fat. So not adding like copious amounts of fat. Um, And I just think when you have liver issues, when you have liver inflammation, when you have potentially gallbladder issues, which the liver and gallbladder work so hand in hand, it's possible that eating too much fat for your body to break down and digest could be causing inflammation. It could be a burden onto those organs and it could be causing bloating. So this is just an idea for you to consider. And again, I still think work with someone and get to the bottom of it. Um, But I just think so many people get really, really fearful of including carbs. And we need to be careful about grouping together processed carbs, you know, like chips and cookies and like all that kind of stuff with a banana, with an apple, with a sweet potato, with carrots. Like people are just as fearful of including fruit that they are now of including like pasta. So it's just, it's this whole thing. I think it's a really big issue right now and I want to shine a little bit of light on it. And I think for people that are experiencing bloating, because I, women reach out to me all the time. I think every woman has dealt with bloating. It's possible if you are someone who's coming from a dieting past who restricted fat for a while and then all of a sudden started eating a lot of it because here's the thing, if we're eating nut butter, if we're eating coconut products, if we're eating avocados, we're cooking with butter and ghee, like it adds up. And I love fat. Like I actually think fat was absolutely crucial in me breaking free from dieting and disordered eating. Like it allowed me to feel full. I got over the fat fear. It's so important for hormones and satiety. But again, I think if you are eating too much of it for your body to digest, that could be an issue and not being fearful of including real whole foods. I'm talking fruits and vegetables because they have sugar. Like, I think that's okay to include that stuff as long as you are feeling like your blood sugar is balanced. Um, So again, I would just encourage you not to be fearful of those things and maybe see how you do with eating a little bit more fruit and vegetables and a little bit less fat. Just see if your bloating goes down. Because for me in my own personal journey right now, I was eating much higher fat for many years, doing all the gut healing protocols, which is always focusing more on protein and fat. Um, it didn't work for me for my gut issues. Like I felt good in ways doing that, but for my gut issues, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lot better now doing less of that and more of like the fruit and veggies and like starch, all that stuff. For me, this is like, but again, take from it what you will and just see, pull back on the fat a little bit. Stop maybe adding so much, still included in your diet, but don't maybe overdo it and just see how do you feel. I also think potentially looking into the concept of food combining could be helpful for you from a bloating standpoint. I'm actually going to have one of my girlfriends um, who kind of specializes in this come in and on the show and talk about it. Um, But for you, like 
pairing protein and starch may be an issue or having if you're having fruit for dessert like that could be an issue and these kinds of things can cause bloating even things like eating too quickly or having water with meals instead of away from meals like so don't forget to um acknowledge these like more doable things as well to see if they reduce some of the bloating the other thing I just wanted to quickly mention is, I don't know if this was a mistake, you wrote down that you're taking 50,000 IUs of vitamin D. That can't be right. Am I, I'm wondering if you meant to write 5,000. Um, 50,000 seems like an <laughs> insane, and I would like, I wish, I, I might have to email you and be like, stop. <laughs> because, um, and also too, you said that your level for D, I believe, is at a 76, which is great. Um that's totally within the functional range to have good levels of D. Yeah. Um, so and, if it is at that, knowing that that's where it's at, you definitely don't want to keep doing 50,000. Yeah. Maybe and, you need it. I mean, if it was chronically low. Ugh, and I don't got, know. But I don't know. I mean, that is still quite a bit. Yeah, because I at one point, <laughs> I think I've talked about this on the show before. I at one point, I think was at like a 20, like a 24, 25, 26. And I was taking 15,000 IUs, which was is also like a lot. So unless you were at like zero, which maybe you were, but again, here's the thing with D, you guys, you want to get your levels checked every three months because D is not a vitamin you want to mess around with. You can overdo D. It's a fat-soluble vitamin versus a water-soluble vitamin. Water-soluble vitamins, like a vitamin C, for example, you'll pee out, like you'll excrete what your body doesn't need. If you're taking too high of an amount of something like a D, a fat-soluble vitamin, it can actually cause a lot of damage. It can cause fatigue. Um, which is probably why you're taking it in the first place. So I would get tested. A good maintenance dose, in my opinion, is like one to 2,000 IUs. But you really want to make sure you know where you're at. And if you are at 76, like halt on the D. Go to a maintenance dose. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I didn't lo- I didn't like catch that. That's good. Might be a mistake. <laughs> but even if you're taking 5,000 at 76, I still think that's too much. So I would yeah, work with would your agree. doctor. Yeah. Um, two things I'll mention. Um if you're not sure, so I love Chelsea's aspect and opinion too because I think it is very valid for so many different people. And I think we can even too be eating like, I mean, to your point, it's like we can be eating a high fat diet and sometimes maybe that works for people if your digestion is like on point and you're, you're have, your liver is awesome, your gallbladder is functioning and you're like one of those people that just like does really well like on keto, like those people are out there too. But she's right. Like if you're not digesting the fat, that's really where it kind of becomes a really big issue. And that's where it can cause the bloating and all that stuff. So some things to look at. I wonder, we should link to the um, the poop pageant. Oh yeah, my <laughs> because, favorite. <laughs> because a very like easy sign is if your stools are floating, then there's fat in the stool and they're, you're not absorbing the fat. It's kind of just going right through you. So that's a really kind of like interesting, there's lots of ways to indicate, am I digesting fat or am I not? And that would be one of them. Also too, with that chart, there is one that shows fat malabsorption where you can Mm -hmm. actually see kind of like gelatinous, like goopy kind of stuff in your stool. Right. Um, And that can absolutely indicate gallbladder issues or yeah, just not breaking down fat because it's coming, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing as kind of like seeing vegetables, like kale or something like that stool which I know sometimes we do because it is hard to chew but that can indicate like you may need digestive enzymes because you're just not breaking down your food yeah and then too I mean it might be interesting to do a stool test I mean if you're wanting to get more scientific about it and really see because in the stool tests that I do I mean it 
and all most of all of them. I mean, they measure things like vegetable fibers and there is fat and all of that stuff. So it really can give you a good idea of what you're absorbing and what you're not. Because sometimes when we have to back up all the way and you really start from square one, I mean, it's everything is digestion, you know? And so yeah. all of these issues could be happening because you're proper you're not just you know you're not digesting things the way that they should be and things are getting out of hand whether that's sugar whether that's fat (laughs) um all of that so I mean the digestive enzymes that you're doing are you know they'll help but I feel like overall they're just there should be whoever you're working with there should be a lot more support happening for all these different parts of the body that we've mentioned aside from just the digestive enzymes um last thing about blood sugar is I recently re-listened to an episode on the well-fed women because I remember Noelle talking about it and it's actually under um, it's episode 121 but I wanted to listen to it because I well now I would have already done it but um, I'm coming up on having to do the test for gestational diabetes and so I've decided that instead of doing the glucola I want to just measure and test my own blood sugar. I'm sure, Chelsea, you're not surprised by that choice. <laughs> um, there are, you know, and we I, we did talk about it in the Lily Nichols episode a little bit as well. So with the glucola, there's just a lot of terrible ingredients that I can't really <laughs> make myself drink. And aside from that, I think it's kind of a, a poor test in general because if you are someone who does kind of more of a paleo-ish not super high carb diet like there's many people that test positive for it even though they don't have gestational diabetes because you're overloading your body with 50 milligrams of sugar just like all at once and so that's not something I usually do unless I am I mean I don't think I've ever done that (laughs) I don't I don't like monitor you know my sugar intake like that but I'm pretty sure that's never really happened it's like Um, drinking like three cokes or something yeah it's ridiculous like who does that yeah, yeah you're not you're not usually having that many carbs at once in a liquid form or like a, a juice like an apple juice or something I guess right would be you're comparable. pairing it with different foods and different stuff and you know it's just it's a silly test in my opinion and so there's a it's not convenient I have to poke my finger four times a day and do it for two weeks um some people only have to do it for a week my doctor had said two so we'll see um But I went back and I listened to her episode on it because she, in the title, it says testing for gestational diabetes. And I remember she had done that and recommended a glucometer. Um, So I think the one um, that I ended up with, we'll link to it in the show notes, is the contour or something like that. Um, And it comes with 100 test strips. It's like maybe 60 bucks or something. It's not super cheap, but the test strips are what kind of get expensive. So to get that and the test strips, whatever, I'm just going to call it a day. Um, but I listened to what she had said for normal blood sugar. Um, so I'll give you kind of a broad spectrum of what my doctor had told me I'm looking for personally. And then I'll give you what Noelle said, because Noelle looked back and did some, I don't know, meta study of like what it accurately should be because she's smart like that. But this might be something you could do at home is my point, because if you're pregnant or not, who cares? You can measure your own blood sugar before and after meals and really get a good, grasp on what is my blood sugar doing because if you do it on a blood test that's just a snapshot I would say it'd be really interesting for you maybe to kind of dive into this and see you know how food is really affecting you because it might be something like a sweet potato or 
you know, starchy vegetables that you don't think is affecting you and maybe it is and maybe that's where the issue is. You're like, I am eating low sugar, I am doing low carb, <laughs> but maybe your body's just not regulating it properly. So fasting should be um, under 90 and then after breakfast for about an hour, you want to wait, then it should be under 120. So that's what my doctor had told me. And Noel said fasting should be at about 70 in this, and then um, plus or minus 8. One hour post-meal should be at about 108 plus or minus 12. And then two hours post-meal should be about 99 or plus or minus 10. So we'll link to those kind of numbers in the show notes. And you might want to just, I mean, anybody who's going to do this, you can certainly look it up yourself because I don't know that these are like absolutely the numbers to look for. This is just what Noelle said on the podcast and that's what my doctor had said I'm looking for. So look it up and double check. But I think doing your own blood sugar at home is certainly another option that is a really good tool for you to figure out what your body does after meals and before. Mm-hmm. Rob Wolf, Rob Wolf. <laughs> wow Rob I'm having a bit of like a struggle bus over here guys sorry (laughs) if I sound I'm trying to sniffle quietly Rob Wolf wrote a book called Wired to Eat which is essentially covering this whole topic of testing yourself and your blood sugar and your glucose tolerance and that could be interesting to look into too I may on the other side flip of the coin I always give that analogy and I don't know if I'm saying it right but um on the flip side but I think, yeah, maybe you can also say on the other side of the coin. I'm just going to say it, totally. and that'll be a Chelseaism, which on I have many. The, <sighs> um, the medical medium has a book, new book out called, I believe called Liver Healing. It's all about the liver. And he speaks to some of the stuff that I just kind of went over. And it resonates with me. It clicked with me. So maybe a different type of book, um, what Rob shares and what... <laughs> The medical medium shares are quite different, so maybe you just see what you resonate with, but I think they both have very interesting points to share. Um, and I do just want to, again, um, touch on the fact that the liver, obviously, is so crucial to digestion. I don't think we always are aware of that. And the thing is, the burden can be, co- or the, yeah, burden can be placed onto the liver. It can become overtaxed from just so many other things, too, even besides digestion, Think about where we live. Like, I live in Los Angeles. The air quality is total crap. Um, we're all, no matter where we live, unless you live, like, in the middle of nowhere on a beautiful farm, you're you're taking in environmental toxins. Um, you are likely, even if you use more natural products, still exposed to, um, you know, dangerous ingredients and products and stuff like that. Like, you know, I walk past an uh, apartment complex that sprays their grass with, round up like we can't avoid this stuff and then um just like emotions and stuff too and I've I've talked about this on the podcast before where the liver is, is an organ that really holds a lot of emotional pain toxicity you know anger resentment sadness grief like all this stuff so your liver is already affected. So if you then throw something at it that it can't digest, it can't break down, that's just extra burden. It's already like working through and processing through so many different toxins from all this other stuff. Like the liver has the heart, I think has the hardest job in the body. Um, so you're not alone in dealing with this. Um, 
But and it genetics. Is. Yeah, and you genetics. Know, genetic yeah. stuff that can happen. I mean, MTHFR with methylation and all of that. I mean, that's nobody's fault. It just happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to okay. speak to the weight uh, yes. question? So question number two, the um, where she mentions, I can't lose weight for the life of me. I'm about 50 pounds overweight and wondering if the liver issue could be related to me not losing weight. Um, and then she mentions, um, this is the part where she says I have hypothyroidism and PCOS. Um, so those can possibly play a role. So I would totally agree. <clears throat> I would say that all of those things are playing a role, unfortunately. Um, again, I would kind of look at cortisol, um, blood sugar management, and just stress on the body in general. Because um, when we start with like the root cause of where this is coming from and maybe we start with like the stress aspect or the adrenals um the thyroid is really just kind of like the result it's just getting like the you know shit end of the stick i don't know how to say it better but it's kind of just reacting on what everything else is doing um so the thyroid you know manages metabolism and if the thyroid is thrown off and you're hypothyroid the metabolism is obviously a little bit slowed so I think don't worry so much. You're already taking levothyroxine. Yes, there are you know things you can do for thyroid health, like making sure that you're getting enough selenium and iodine, all those things. But I wouldn't so much focus on the thyroid. I would really kind of still go back to focusing um, on maybe looking into seeing how much of an issue there is with cortisol and the blood sugar. Because if your body is stressed um, and cortisol is either too high or even too low, for example, um, then your body holds on to fat because it's kind of like running through like an entire forest with no clothes on and a bear chasing you. It's like your body's not going to burn calories while you're running. It's going to store it because it has no idea when it's going to get fed again. So your body really just kind of holds on to these things. And so I think until there's a balance in the body with all of these different players and organs and, you know, I think the body is just kind of on like hunker mode where it's, it's hunkering onto the calories and kind of holding on to things so I would still kind of go back to maybe what I said before um with the cortisol blood sugar but I don't think that I don't think you should be frustrated I guess maybe I'll end with that is don't feel like you're not doing enough you're working out enough your workouts look awesome I feel like they're balanced it doesn't seem like there's you know too much cardio or anything going on I think as long as you feel good and you understand the difference between CrossFit being too much like you were able to stop and be like that was enough and recognize that so I would say you would probably have the same aspect here or like same feeling here if you were overdoing it you would let yourself know <laughs> so I think don't get frustrated it's just there's an imbalance happening and your body is just reacting in the best way that it knows how so don't be too hard on yourself for that yeah I also feel like a lot of the time we gain weight or we hold on to weight as a form of protection, like what you were just talking about, the analogy of like running from a predator. I mean, especially too with having liver issues, think of where that is, you know, and we often as women gain weight in our abdominal area because all our organs are there. So sometimes it is there as protection. Like it's not this like horrible thing. Like we sort of need to work on as difficult as it is. And believe me, I am right there with you, reframing our opinion of like fat. Because here's the thing, having a little bit of fat probably allows people to, not probably, definitely, I mean, what I mean by probably is like not in every case, but in, in many cases, that's what allows women to have a cycle and have be fertile and have a child. <laughs> you know, like we actually need some fat on our body. It's not this like 
goal to be like a lean board. You know what I mean? So here's the thing. You're 50 pounds overweight in terms of, of what? Are you comparing yourself to an unreasonable lower weight? Did a doctor tell you that? Are they just measuring your BMI? Like there, you know, it, it, it could be a, a few different things there. We don't know if you actually need to lose 50 pounds. Sure, maybe you do have weight on you that does not feel healthy, does not make you feel like you can be as active as you want or whatever the case may be. I'm not ever going to sit here as much as my platform is to promote body love and self-love. I think it's still okay to have weight loss goals as long as it is coming from the right mentality. You have to feel safe and confident in who you are first. Like, get that very clear. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's okay to have weight loss goals, but the way that you said it, I cannot lose weight for the life of me, makes me, it gives me a little bit of a red flag that you are like forcing it. You know, you're really wanting it. You're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. You're not treating yourself with any grace for the fact that you have a very serious like health thing going on right now. So you need to focus on getting better. You need to focus on treating your body really, really well, reducing stress, doing a lot of self-care, working on your mindset so that you can actually get things back in balance because we can't do one and the other, you know? And I've had to surrender to this too. Like my goal needs to be, for me, it's more about healing than anything else. And in, you know, what will happen from that then is that your body will actually lose inflammation. You know, it's a lot of this is like a mindset thing. So, you know, consider some of that. Um, And the other thing too is like your body doesn't need to lose weight, meaning like that's not a function that our body needs in order to survive and, and stay alive. But your liver, we do need our livers. Um, your your function, your organ function is, is a high priority in your system. Um, so that's a necessity. But, um, you know, losing weight is not necessarily. So that may be why you are, you are hanging on to some extra, extra weight right now. Um, but I would encourage you to really switch your perspective, switch your mindset, and try to treat yourself with a lot more love and respect to what you're going through right now because it's a lot. Um, the only other thing I will suggest <laughs> is potentially like looking into maybe like working with a trainer or doing some like strength training or weightlifting versus just kind of like steady state cardio or something like the elliptical, maybe switching it up a little. But again, I think everything you're doing is great. I don't think you need to do that. Um, But it could potentially be helpful for your body to kind of switch it up a little bit if you felt healthy enough um, and had enough energy to do something like that. Again, not as extreme as CrossFit, but maybe like one to two days a week of kind of like lifting weights or strength training um, instead of something like the elliptical, unless you really enjoy the elliptical. (laughs) Some people do. (laughs) I do not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't either. And that I used to do... I like the treadmill, which most people hate too, so I don't know. I used to like <laughs> doing like interval sprints and stuff on the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okie doke. Question number three, we'll go over this kind of quickly because I feel like we've touched on all this stuff kind of already, but um, she wanted to know specific supplements. Um, she said, I know nettle and lemon, lemon balm are mentioned a lot. Um, I guess this is the part that gets me. <laughs> If I can say, she said, my doctor is sure I have fatty liver, but not sure why my liver is so inflamed. So she's, you know, obviously working with a doctor, um, to kind of get through all this stuff. And I think you're still maybe waiting on some results or maybe those were the NASH diagnosis that you got and kind of sent us. We don't know what else, um, you've worked on thus far, but I would, I guess say, you know, give it 
time and a little patience with whoever you're working with to get you as far as as you think you can, but don't be afraid to move on to somebody else that maybe is more functional or even like a nutritionist (laughs) because I think sometimes as nutrition people in our world, we see things and put together different parts of the body in a way that maybe some other doctors don't. I don't know. Not that we know more than doctors. That's not what I'm saying at all, but just like a different outlook because sometimes they don't, you know, they're, they're not sure. I mean, if, and if you're, if he's saying, or she is saying that she's not sure why the liver is so inflamed, but she knows you have something. It's like, okay, well that's great, but what do I do about it? So you have to figure out like what to do. <laughs> so I would say, don't be afraid to kind of reach out. Um, I know you know, I'd love to work with you. Chelsea is a great resource as well. Not entirely as much of her scope as mine, but um, there are other forms of people that might be as a good resource for you. Um, the one thing that I will say, I, I don't want to recommend too many supplements because I feel like there's just a lot of moving parts with the blood sugar, PCOS, and you know, all the other things, digestion. Um, so it would be hard to say what I would recommend because I'd have to spend a lot of time figuring that out. Um, but make sure that the doctor is kind of running like other tests too, because if he's just like, well, I don't know why it's inflamed. Like we need to figure that out. You know, I have a theory. I don't know if I'm correct. Um, you can mention it to them and see what they think. Um, but also if there's like an infection or, I mean, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, like those are all things if you research non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, things that come up. I mean, who knows, but it'd be nice to rule that stuff out um, and just make sure that you're getting like a really good overall picture of like what could be causing this. I feel fairly confident in kind of the approach that I mentioned and what I would do, but um, just have your options be open and I think make sure you feel comfortable with what you're doing. I mean, I would say don't continue down the the path of just taking the digestive enzymes and the vitamin D and that's it. I mean, I don't know how long you've been doing that, but that's not going to get you as far. I mean, food is great. Don't get me wrong. But if you're already kind of doing a lot of the food stuff, then there needs to be some other support and other things that come into play. So just keep your options open, I guess. (laughs) And if it is a hepatitis... B or C issue that's viral that's an infection so girl you've got my ticket with those teas you're like I know nettle nettle leaf and lemon balm is mentioned a lot because it is because I don't know I think those are extremely powerful they're great both great for the liver nettle tea is especially good at ridding toxins and underlying infections like Epstein-Barr virus and hepatitis some other things you can do which I know I've talked about before as well are Dark leafy greens, very, very bitter greens. Dandelion greens is probably the best for liver health. If you think about it, actually like going in and breaking up some of that congestion and helping to detoxify. Arugula is great. Other bitter foods. Citrus is really great. Lemon water in the morning throughout the day is awesome. Cruciferous vegetables, Brussels, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus. The other thing I like actually is, and this is very antiviral as well, is steaming or boiling um, asparagus, and then drinking the water, it's actually really good. I know. I've already talking about this before. <laughs> and literally my face just turns to that, like, green emoji before you, like, No, it's wah. so, it's very subtle. <laughs> actually tastes like a tea. It's very subtle. Uh, 
It's good. It's actually said to be really, really helpful for urinary tract infections as well, which I know a lot of women deal with. Interesting. Um, t- other teas, you could look into doing like a milk thistle tea, which is great for liver health, or like a um, organic, you know, maybe a traditional medicinals or another organic tea that's like a liver detox or a detox blend. Um, we spoke a little bit to emotions, which brings me to acupuncture. I'm always talking about my liver with my acupuncturist. <laughs> they work with the body. They work with organs. They're feeling around. So they 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 can kind of tell what's going on with this kind of stuff. And then they can connect it to mind, body, soul, which is really cool. So a lot of acupuncturists are covered by insurance. So look into it. Maybe see if you can find one that is covered by yours. Mine is covered, which is like hallelujah. Mine is the too, Lord. actually. It, I've been doing it now for a year and a half. I go every week. It covers, like, what I pay monthly for my health insurance is, like, what I would pay out of pocket for acupuncture. So it makes me feel really good. And they may be able to recommend, again, like, I would work with someone like Ali, um, you know, or another practitioner first before going the Chinese herb route. But um, Chinese herbs can also be helpful with liver health. And um, an acupuncturist may be able to recommend something like that. I agree. Yeah, working with an acu- I actually work, I mean, there's one that I see that I recommend a lot to my clients, and so I've worked kind of coordinating with the acupuncturist and myself with people just to make sure that we're on the same page because I know that, you know, Chinese herbs and stuff are obviously not my forte, and I don't understand them as well, <laughs> but <laughs> most people, you want to have all of your people talking. Yeah. <laughs> all of the people you have involved, even if it's a chiropractor and they're recommending supplements, make sure that you're kind of letting but everybody in the loop. Um, but yeah, I think those are all, all good stuff. I think we covered it all. Yeah. So reach out if you'd like some more one-on-one support. I think it would be helpful for you and keep us posted. Thank you for the great questions. I think this was a good combo. Went on some good, yeah, good tangents. And I don't think it's, I mean, a lot of topics we hadn't really quite covered yet. So thank you so much, Stephanie. And you guys, keep the questions coming. I get so excited when we see one into our email. Um, You can submit a question just like Stephanie did through our website. It is linked in the show notes. And we have a nice, fancy submit a question form, which makes it really, really easy for you. You can also email us anytime with anything else at nutritionistpodcast at gmail.com. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It means the world to us. And be sure to subscribe so that a new episode gets downloaded for you every single week. For more from me, Chelsea, head to nutritionwithchelsea.com and follow me over on Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. For more from Allie, head to barefoodnutrition.com and follow her at barefoodnutrition. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. See ya.